Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Steve Rogers and Rob Wright from The Warwick coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. She is a beverage expert and consultant who has worked on the cocktail programs for a number of successful Houston bars and restaurants. Linda Salinas, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Living my best life. I'm so glad to hear it. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, Kato Robata owner Young Chen and chef Manabu Horiuchi, better known as Horisan, are teaming up to open Katami, a new sushi restaurant in the former Vincent space in Montrose. They've released a few details. This is, this is opening later in the spring. Katami will be more sushi focused than Kata, which as you know, Linda, and which the listeners probably know has a, has a pretty big menu. They serve robotic skewers. They serve ramen, especially at lunch. They serve that really delicious lobster mac and cheese. You probably won't get any of that at Katami. What you will get are some more luxurious ingredients like truffles and foie gras and caviar. And which we we'll already, have, which we, yeah, which we already get anyways at Kata. It's just different, right? Right. And it'll have a bigger bar and lounge area, which Kata has like a, I don't know, like a four or six seat bar. Hardly, hardly any bar at Kata Robata. Yeah. All right. So I say all that to say to you, what do you think about this? Horisan's new restaurant, Katami. Are you excited? Honestly, I I love Horisan and like almost any iteration of what that group does. I like Moon Rabbit. I even like Soma. I really like what they do. It's not fussy. It's the service is always good. I mean, why not? Let's do this. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I I have this kind of vague sense and and I haven't I haven't talked to Hori about this. I've talked to anybody about this. But I do have the feeling that they kind of want to get in on that like omakase vibe, that like sushi forward thing that's kind of going going on around town because you can, you can get an omakase at the sushi bar mm-hmm. at Katarobata, but it's not it's not quite the same, right? It's not like it's not like going to MF Sushi, for example. It's certainly not like these kind of dedicated omakase restaurants like hidden omakase or even neo you know i think they just want like a little of that obviously katarabata is very very it's it's both very successful financially and and very good from a quality perspective i mean anytime i talk to chefs about kata they're always are like oh that's one of my favorite restaurants so i i think that they would want to build on that success makes a lot of sense to me and just kind of lean into the sushi thing. The other thing I, I want to float by you, because you, you know, this is your world, is what do you think about this idea that it's going to be more bar forward? It's going to have a dedicated lounge area. You know, the, the goal is to sell a lot more liquor at Katami than they do at Kata. Well, I think I think one of the reasons why Kata Robot is so successful is, is that they can do three or four turns, right? They're always busy. They've got a plenty of seating. I think, honestly, you can't get omakase at Kata seven days a week. And in, and in all honesty, people want to have more options and 
people really enjoy having, you know, not only sake, not only good wine, but really fantastic cocktails. And I mean, I don't know if you know, like everybody does cocktails. So there's nothing wrong with a lychee martini. There's nothing wrong with a Long Island iced tea. Those are classics, right? Modern classics, whatever, however you want to put it. But I think people are looking for more developed cocktails just because we we are a city of, you know, diners and we like to have really great options. And sometimes at Cata, you can, you can get some really good whiskeys and so on and so forth, but a smaller space, more, more, um, smaller bites and kind of more different styles of courses, I think really is going to work really well for them. Yeah. And, and I know that Cata has always had a pretty good beverage program. I know that they they have cocktails. I don't really think to order them. They're they're kind of they're kind of hidden in the menu. Left to my own devices, like I will just typically order some sort of light beer, probably an asahi, something like that. And I don't, you know, I don't treat it in the same way that I do other elegant restaurants where it's like, okay, I'm gonna have the cocktail before dinner, I'm gonna have the glass of wine with the entrees, and then maybe even something at the end, like a digestif or something. So I do like this idea that they're going to kind of take advantage of, you know, because when Kata opened more than 10 years ago, it it wasn't as popular for restaurants to have like a really well-developed cocktail program. And so I think for them to embrace this trend at Katami makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's kind of one of those things where Kata has its identity. We love it. It's, I think it's one of our, I think it's one of the most beloved like industry restaurants, but hey, new page, new dis, who, you know, who, who whatever, whatever that, uh, like, new phone, new who dis? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. New year, new go. me. What yeah, are... new year, new me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Topic number two. There were some closings at the end of the year. We haven't really, <sighs> we haven't really talked about them in the context of the show yet. I just want to sort of note Chivos. Maze and Cherry Block Smokehouse all shuttered, you know, basically at the end of December. Linda, you and I went to Chivos at least a couple of times. You know, Maze was this kind of ambitious Mexican restaurant out in the Energy Corridor. And then Cherry Block Smokehouse, you knew it from Bravery Chef Hall. They were trying to do, this was in Garden Oaks, they were trying to do like a casual steakhouse. They were doing burgers, they were doing barbecue, they were doing a lot of things. And it only opened in September and it didn't last very long. So I, I just thought I would throw it to you. Do you have anything you want to say about any of these three restaurants? I mean, it's really sad. I mean, it really is. It's very sad for, for a restaurant to, to close down. There's people in the front, people in the back, owners, management, so on and so forth. It's a, it's a lot of, it's a, it's a big gamble. And I just think that, we are a vibrant city, but like, if you don't have parking, if you don't know your neighborhood and your neighborhood doesn't know who you are, the cherry block thing was, is really sad because it's in a, such a vibrant neighborhood, but it's a, I mean, it was in a sea of other empty buildings, you know, or empty spaces. And people like to feel like when you walk into a restaurant, with 250 seats and there's only five people there, you know, you're, you're like, uh, let's just go somewhere else. Smaller is, is better sometimes, you know, bigger isn't always better, but it just goes to show you that, you know, just because you have a great idea, doesn't necessarily mean that the neighborhood or your investors really care about what you have to say. 
Yeah, and and Cherry Block wasn't. I mean, Cherry Block wasn't huge. It basically had like one wall of kind of banquet seating, some some kind of bar high tables and a little patio. But that that center, the stomping grounds, is still like a work in progress, right? Fat Cat Creamer's been there for a couple of years. Lulu's Day and Night just opened there, and there's a lot more coming. There's pho, there's sushi, there's pizza, all all under construction. But yeah. you know, Cherry Block was like the first. Well, and I guess Rooster and Rice is there, which is a restaurant out of San Francisco that's basically almost exclusively carry out. So, so Cherry Block was the first like sit down restaurant, and I think there was some excitement in the neighborhood. But, but you know, it takes people a while to find it, and if you don't have that like big, if you don't get that big pop right in the beginning, and you're a little bit undercapitalized, which they they acknowledge that they were, it's just it's really hard to to get going, and so. It bums me out because I, I really, I went to Cherry Block. I managed to get there a couple of times right after it opened. You know, I thought they were they were doing some, uh, Felix Flores and Jordan Economy, the chef, were doing some kind of cool stuff there. But you gotta, you gotta be able to kind of weather that initial lull, and that just wasn't that just wasn't in the card. So that that's unfortunate. And, and then Chivo's was really one of the most exciting new restaurants to open in. 2021, Thomas Billy from Belly of the Beast was there. Really creative, like really smart cocktail program. But you know, Thomas left and and it just it it lost some of its momentum from that. And and I just think the the idea of this like modern Mexican cuisine that's like not it's not traditional Mexican food, it's not Tex-Mex, it's kind of Mexican American, like food created by Mexicans who grew up in America and interacted with other immigrant traditions, you know, either from Asia or from Europe is so, it's such a cool idea. And some of the food there was really, really good. And so I'd like to see it get a second chance somewhere else, but I'm not sure that, you know, a giant, again, like that's your 200 seat restaurant, right? With the big patio and everything. I'm not sure that that was maybe the right forum for that cuisine. And and it's my understanding that they're going to turn that into more of a bar, which will fit in with all the stuff going on on 11th Street. So I just thought we should note that that those places kind of came to the end of their runs. Sucks. I hate it. I, yes. <laughs> I, I, I really love Chivas. So, but, you know, like the neighborhood doesn't like it. Sorry. You know. Yeah. All right. And then speaking of sad, I don't topic number three. I don't want to dwell on this too much, but Griff's Irish Pub. Uh, had a devastating fire and is closed. The owners have said they're going to rebuild, but you know, who knows how long that's going to take or, or how that's going to come together. So I, I just wanted to know, do you have one good Griff's story? I have so many Griff stories. I grew up in Montrose. My first apartment was three blocks from Griff's. I have had so many banana stories. If you are a Houstonian and you grew up, in and around Matros, everyone has a good Griff story. RIP, please, I can't wait for them to come back already. So yeah, St. Patrick's Day will not be the same without Griff's. I will say that my my Griff story was that I was there with friends for trivia night. The owner wandered over. They said, they said, Oh, you know, this guy's a food critic, which I'm not, but she, <laughs> you know, she was like, Oh, are you gonna you gonna review the food? And I was like, What? This these frozen French fries, this uh, <laughs> these these fried mushrooms, like what, what really? do you want me to say? Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And she's like, oh well, you can get out. 
So I don't know. I don't know how many people have been thrown out of grifts, but I have. And that is my that is my grift story. I I was I was like three beers in and I probably should have been a little nicer about it. But I was I was rude and I got tossed. Good. Yeah, I it's it, you know, I I, oh, I, I mostly I earned love it. that. I yeah. really love that. I I really love it when <laughs> when I get That's my great. comeuppance. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, That's come great. back, come back, Griffs. We we hope that we hope that Griffs rebuild. People are going to miss it. All right. And then and then topic number four, Linda Salinas relates to you. Oh gosh, me. You just you just rolled out a new cocktail menu at Fat Eatery, the Malaysian restaurant in Katy. I certainly and, did. <laughs> and so I thought I would give you the chance to plug your own work. Oh, Tell come people on. about what it was like to work with Alex Ayung and improve the cocktail offerings at Fat Eatery. So I actually, I got the call a couple of months ago to work with uh, that team. And in all honesty, I really love working with different ingredients that I'm not normally, I'm not normally privy to. And so we ended up doing uh, some really classic cocktails. And uh, I will tell you that the first round of cocktails that I made for them, I was told by their staff, because I mean, obviously, I can't do anything without without input from the staff. They said that my uh, my first run of drinks were just a little too Asian for them, which I thought was really funny. Um, I tried to do some pandan, a couple of other little weird ingredients, and they were like, "Can you do just something a little bit more traditional?" Which I thought was really funny. But that really just goes to show you that they really know what their customers want. They know their clientele. While I was working on the program, everyone was greeted with great enthusiasm. In all honesty, that team's fantastic. I made a cognac and bourbon old fashioned with a cinnamon syrup uh, with shiso leaf as a garnish. I made this Aperol cocktail, which is obviously one of my favorite ingredients. It's uh, Honestly, that's like my sneaky ingredient in almost any cocktail menu. But uh, I, I decided to use uh, kefir lime leaves which are also called uh, um, Thai lime leaves. Um, And so I just, I had a really great time working with them. They're really fantastic people. And you know what? The best perk was that I ate really well for a couple of weeks. So hopefully you guys check it out. Send me a DM. Tell me what you think. Um, And yeah. I'm I'm just amazed that you accepted a contract in Katie because that is far beyond your usual radius. Well, look, I like working with people that I really like. So, I mean, they're kind of worth it. And not only that, but there's like cool dim sum out there and Amala Szechuan. So they made it really easy for me to want to want to go out there. I guess the tide has turned and I'm actually <laughs> going outside of the loop to grab snacks. Oh, here we go. 2023. Here we go. Brave new world. All right, Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Linda, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about Money Cat. This is the new Japanese-inspired restaurant from Chef Sherman Young, the owner of Tobio Sushi, speaking of Katie Restaurants. It is located in the Kirby Grove building, which is on Richmond. It's where Kieran's is. It's near the intersection of Kirby and Richmond. Linda, I'm going to say we had a pretty good dinner at money cat what did you think 
We had a real, I, I mean, honestly, I had a really, we really had a fantastic experience. And yes, the sushi is good, but their other stuff was really, what I, I think was really, really fantastic. I think they're inventive. They push the bounds of what normal Japanese or even Asian cuisine and fare. And the, and the staff is young and vibrant. And I really enjoy that. I normally am like, no, I'll do it the old way. And I'm all about classics, but I really, really, really enjoyed the energy in that, in that space. I agree with all of those things. You know, yes, you're right. They, they do, they do nigiri, they do hand rolls, they do maki, they do sashimi, they do all that stuff well, but it's, it's all the other things I think that are more exciting to me. Like the, you know, they call it the tomato garden, right? With the, you know, the squidding. Yeah, it's a cheese. It's a cheese course. It's a, yeah, it's a cheese. It's a, it's a, it's a decadent cheese trifle that has squid ink soil and then buried underneath is like these vibrant tomatoes. I was, yeah, I'm like, yes, to the chef. Right. And, and the chef de cuisine, Gio Dingayan, uh, is a pastry chef who's now working as a savory chef. You know, what did he tell us? He's like 24, 25. Yeah. He's under, he's under, he's under 25. Yeah. yeah. So a young guy, very excited about his place in the community. Uh, the tomato course really stands out. I thought the the short rib was really nice. It was just, it was a really exciting meal. And, and it kind of brings me to the kind of to the crux of the thing, which is that, you know, when we were sort of thinking about this restaurant, you know, it's like, oh man, it's like, it's like right down the street from Katarabata. I don't know if you want to open a sushi restaurant. So yeah, we, we even asked them. Right. We even, yeah, we asked them and they basically said, we don't care. Like, you know, we're doing Kata, a completely Kata different, Robata, we're doing a completely different thing. But right. But right. They're, they're doing something completely different, more French influenced, less traditional, more modern. And, and I agree having eaten the food, you know, that, that it, it's a very different restaurant and, and they stand on their own. I mean, you know, I, I'm looking at my, my pictures. I mean, the, the Chutoro toast on the milk bread, the tempura fried maitake mushrooms, and then that dessert with the chocolate bonsai tree and all the other components. I mean, just a really, a really fantastic meal from start to finish. And the space looks nice. It's, it's, you know, you always talk about lighting levels. It wasn't too bright. It wasn't, it wasn't busy enough to be noisy, but it, it seems like they've got kind of the flow managed well. It's kind of, it's kind of long and narrow, so it feels intimate. I, I just, I really think they're onto something with that place. It's one of the more delicious meals I've had in the last couple of months. Yeah, I, I really liked it. One tiny thing that kind of irked me just a little bit, and this is just like a, an overall technical little thing. Hey, fam, out there in the bar world, please stop putting cloudy ice in your old fashions. Like, there's plenty of people that you can buy ice from. Or you can even buy trays that'll do clear ice. Having a beautiful old fashioned that tastes really fantastic, but isn't a gross, cloudy, impure. It's just really like that's the only that's my that was my only thing that I was like, oh man, this tastes so good, but this is just <laughs> it's like it's like wilted, it's like putting wilted mint in a in a drink, you know right. what I mean? Well, like, and, and at a restaurant where the the look of each individual dish is obviously something they've been so thoughtful about 
Yeah. You know, you want cocktails that match the quality of the food. And that includes beautiful clear ice. Yes. So it, it's not that it affects the taste. It's really just a presentation thing, but, it, but it, yes, it is something that if you're also, if you're going to charge people $15 for a cocktail, like, you know, it should look the part. Yeah. But overall fantastic. But, but just to be clear, you'll go back. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. All right. And we'll get to hear from Sherman uh, next week. Cause he's going to be on the podcast. Oh, right. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Linda, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurant of the week. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks so much. And I'll be right back with Steve Rogers and Rob Wright. I am joined this week by two of the owners of The Warwick, a restaurant near the Galleria. Gentlemen, let me introduce you separately so that people can hear your voices. <laughs> Steve Rogers, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, how you doing, Eric? I'm good. Happy to be here, man. Thanks for doing this. Rob Wright, welcome to the show. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Steve, let me, let me start with you. I, I mean, I know both you and Rob had careers in the business world prior to getting into hospitality. So let me just ask you a little bit about your background. What was your, how did you kind of get started and kind of uh, establish a, a name for yourself? Um, I guess my, my entrance to the business was, I uh, came through um, promoting and producing hair shows. Um, when I graduated from TCU, I moved back to Houston and, and got a job with Paul Mitchell Haircare Product. And uh, from there, I kind of gained some rapport with all the uh, local hair salons and barbershops and started to produce a show called Hair Battle uh, back in 95. And from there, I just kind of got into the, the party promotion, hospitality space that kind of grew from there. All right. Tell me what a hair battle is. Is this like, well, <laughs> is this like a barber competition? Well, it was promoted as a competition, but it was more of an exhibition we kind of set it up uh, with all of our flyers and content as competition. So it'd be, you know, if Rob was the barber and I was a barber, it'd be Rob Wright versus Steve Rogers. And we'll, we'll have two pictures on there. We'll be like, we'll, we'll face off on, on the, on, on the flyer. Uh, but we, we, we will both have 15 minutes to do, you know, three to four different hairstyles each. And it was all choreographed to, to, to music production props and all that so uh but it was promoted as a uh, a competition but it was more of an exhibition all right rob let me let me bring you in on this what about you what was your what was your background prior to getting into the hospitality business uh my first job out of college uh coming out of u of h in early 90s uh my first gig was actually in, in insurance i worked with uh state farm insurance for almost 15 years in property and casualty uh, with an emphasis on, on catastrophe work. So basically I lived out of a suitcase probably like 10 months out of the year where I traveled all over the country, putting out fires, then with disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, uh, hurricanes, hailstorms, you name it. Uh, I was on the road traveling. Um, it was a great job when I was young, seeing the, you know, seeing the country, I guess, at a, you know, an insurance company's dime. But, you know, once I started to uh, mature a little bit, 
I realized that sooner or later, you know, I needed to be stable. Uh, one of the benefits of me traveling and being able to see different parts of the country um, was learning or, or gaining an affinity for food. Uh, had an opportunity to see a lot of cool different food concepts, a lot of different ways in which different part regions of the country, you know, uh, produce food. And, uh, and had a, you know, when I came back off the road, uh, my long-term goal was to do what we're doing now, and that's opening, you know, concepts. So, Rob, let me let me just follow up. I mean, you you sort of had this idea that you would do different bars and restaurants. I mean, how did you was was Prospect Park your your first project, and and how did that kind of come together? Um, actually, our first project, believe it or not, was just a bar over in the uh, museum district by the name of Sugar Hill Lounge. Uh, we had about a six or seven year run and it was strictly liquor. And one of the things that me and Steve talk about to this day, had we added a kitchen to that, it probably would still be going down. But, you know, we kind of were you know excited about this being our first concept and we're really just focused on, you know, just getting our feet wet. And we kind of ran with the bar and lounge aspect and it worked. It worked really well. It was a very popular concept. And then Prospect was our, actually our next venture that kind of fell in our lap. And then we were able to, you know, to, to couple, you know, he, you know, high end, you know, drinks and uh, heavy liquor with food. And then Steve, how about you? How did you go from from producing hair shows to to the bar business? After I, I, the hair show um, started to really take off, we did those for about 10 years. Um, I started to do weekly, weekly events. Um, my, my my first bar uh, I promoted at was a, a bar called Tonic. It was on Main Street downtown. It was on Tuesday night, and we had about a four year run with that. And um, we kind of centered it around the, the Rockets when they were winning. Uh, a lot of games fell on Tuesday nights, so we was able to get Steve Francis and Catino Mobley, all those guys, to come by, and we just kind of built a, a following from there. And then after that, we um, we landed a spot on Thursday night at this uh, bar called M Bar. Um, it's called Milkshake Thursdays. Um, so from there, we just started, you know, going out and getting, getting these, uh, finding these bars and clubs that were kind of had slow nights and uh, going in and just kind of building, building like a little cult following uh, on these off nights. Yeah, this is this is kind of the first run of of Main Street before the light rail construction kind of killed it all off. Like I have, <laughs> I have, I have vaguely. <laughs> I have I have somewhat hazy memories of like going to Grasshopper and places yes. like the Mercury Room. <laughs> yes, uh, which tells you I I guess tells everyone how old I am, right? Because I I still remember all that stuff. Both of our ages, all of our ages, actually. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So you started as a promoter. What was your first bar that you you owned or that you were a partner in? Well, the same. Me and Rob kind of came together. Uh, it may have been what, 2006, Rob, when we did the Super Bowl. Oh four. Oh, four. So we kind of came together. And uh, from that, we've kind of been partners since then. So uh, like you just said, our first our first entry into the business was Sugar Hill Lounge. Sorry, I didn't I didn't realize you guys did that. And then did you were you part of Prospect Park, too? Yes. Yes. Yeah, we've okay. been, uh, I guess, kind of married to the hip since oh, four. All right. So tell me about Prospect Park, because I, I, I do think that that's kind of a moment you know, for sports bars in Houston, for, for black owned bars and restaurants in Houston, it really kind of, from, from my perspective as an outsider, it, it seems like it really upped the game quite a bit. Yeah, I, I would have to agree. Uh, when we 
came together with our other two partners, um, our goal was to basically create a, a sports bar on steroids, uh, 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 ultra sports bar of sorts. So basically, you know, yeah, most bars may, you know, serve sports bars to serve burgers and nachos and wings, but we tried to figure out a way where we could elevate, you know, regular bar food and turn it to some really, wouldn't say obviously fine dining, but definitely an elevated presentation and flavor profile. And same thing with the cocktails, instead of just slinging a bunch of bunch of beers and, you know, just cocktails, you know, how do we create big shareable cocktails and cool vessels and, and the dry ice and, and those type of different presentations? Well, yeah, because I used to prior to, to becoming a, a writer and, and being on this side of the business, like I used to work, you know, in that area and I drive down Fountain View on a Thursday and, you know, it'd be it'd be popping. I mean, you know, I don't, whatever, whatever adjective you want to use, it was busy and it, and it remains very popular to this day. Right. It, it has, and it kind of, you know, created a life of its own after COVID. Uh, now it's kind of a, a, uh, a go-to spot for a lot of tourists who come to town, I guess, like it or not, Houston has developed to be one of those places. Hey, I want to go party in Houston for the weekend. You know, Miami, LA, and New York, those places are obviously are very popular spots to go hang out at, but Houston has managed to put itself right up in the same conversation right now. I was going to ask you about that later, but since you brought it up, I mean, there is this really dynamic community of Black-owned bars and restaurants, you know, some of which you're affiliated with, some of which you're not, you know, certainly... You know, certainly Turkey Leg Hut, certainly Rob's uh, 5015 is very, it's been very successful. You've got Lost and Found. I drove past that. Uh, happened to roll down West Gray last weekend, saw full parking lot, line out the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, what well, is let, it? Let, me, let me hop in real quick, Eric. Yeah, please. Yes, I, I, I want to correct that before we get in further. Lost and Found is one of, is one of our partners. Uh, A-Life is their concept. Okay. Uh, it, it, it happens a lot. People, you know, confuses and, and, and kind of lumps us into one one deal. But uh, they are very successful. Uh, but it's it's not our deal. It's it's a uh, it's, it's a life hospitality. And that's their uh, their concept. Well, all right. So, so, well, so let me just ask you about being part of this community where you're you're one of a few different successful operators that have created a whole series of destinations for people. Mm-hmm. Like what, what's that been like for you to kind of to, to kind of been the, the starting point for that and to have watched it evolve over the years? So, I mean, again, we, we appreciate our heritage first and foremost. But I, when we go into these concepts, it's it's how do we create the best restaurant, not necessarily how do we create the best Black-owned restaurant. And let's be clear, you know, with Warwick, for example, you know, we're in the heart of Galleria. So when we open up, our whole mindset is like, look, we're, we're competing against Mastro's. We're competing against State 48, True Lux. So we have to be able to create, you know, that same dining experience, the same, have the same professionalism, uh, the same whole nine years, quality of food, this, that, and the third. So um, it's great to be you know, I guess a black owned restaurant, so to speak, but our mindset is just being the best restaurant we can be. Well, good. I mean, let's talk about the Warwick. I mean, how did you decide that that was going to be your next project? I mean, you know, that was a Houston's for, you know, that was a Houston's for years and years, uh, you know, 30 years or something crazy like that, right. you know, taking on, you know, a, a very prominent space right, and, and really kind of building on that legacy. 
Well, funny you mentioned it. I hate to, if you can jump in, Steve, you don't mind. Um, the location kind of, it was an aha moment because there were a couple different locations in Houston we were actually looking at that for whatever reason didn't work out. And we literally had an aha moment. What about this location? You know, and it, it was, you know, we met my realtor, he made it happen and we got in there. But, you know, bottom line, I think we've been in, we didn't want to be typecast in one type of, of, of restaurant direction, i.e. the sports bar. Um, we like fine dining. We like elevated experiences. And based, again, on our travels, Steve travels a lot. I travel a lot. And Maz and our other partner, you know, he's traveled the world as well. Um, a combination of, of putting our heads together is like, okay, what can we do similar to other market, the other restaurants in the city, but what can we do to put our own spin on it? And then, a, then B, what can we do different? Uh, we're taking over our, I, an iconic location like Houston's. We knew we had some big shoes to fill. Uh, and I think we've done pretty good so far. Yeah, Steve, I build, build on that point that Rob made, that, that it is inspired by the places you like to eat, the places you've seen in your travels. What, what were some of those places and, and what how did you sort of identify, you know, this is missing in Houston. We can we can really add something with with the Warwick. Steve, you there? <laughs> I think we lost Steve. <laughs> Steve, are you there? You may be right. We may have lost Steve. But, uh, I guess to, to help answer his, that, that question, there's no specific uh, restaurant or particular restaurant, I guess, that just stands out off the rip. But uh, just seeing, you know, like, for example, let's, let's try Louisiana, for example. Um, they're probably the hotbed. They're known for oysters. OK, for example. Well, what could we do to do our spinoff of oysters? It makes us makes it different than, you know, the average restaurant like Acme Oyster House and so forth. So we came up with our own signature oysters where we actually came up with a collard green recipe to accentuate the flavor of, of a typical char-grilled oyster, adding our own cheese blends and stuff. So therefore, it's our we put our name on it. We put our brand on it. And honestly, it's our tap selling appetizer. Just give an example of uh, what, I'm, what I'm speaking on. Yeah. Steve, are you back? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. No, no, it's fine. So let me just ask you, like, like Rob said, you, you have this background in sports bars. What made you kind of want to do like a more fine dining style restaurant? You know, like you said, you're 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 competing with, you know, Pappas Brothers, Mastro's, everything going on in River Oaks District. How did how did you approach that project? Well, I guess like 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 Rob was saying, just from based on our travels you know, throughout the country, just seeing 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 cool concepts, seeing elevated dining. You know, we wanted to just kind of get our, you know, put our spin on it, uh, and 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 we, we we it was a it was a, a great process, um, maybe about eight months, nine months of of, of tastings and 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 uh, trying to figure out the right flavor profiles, trying to figure out the right uh, layout and flow of the space, coming up with the right design, uh, the, the look and feel of the space. Um, so it was just a combination of, of, of a lot in, I guess, years and years of us seeing things that we like and uh, the things that we thought we could put together and, and kind of bring kind of bring to the city. So, so let me just ask you, I mean, you've been open for several months at this point. How's it going? It's going great. Um, you know, just, to, um, you know, we were able to hit all our targets. You know, we opened up, we started opening up for dinner. 
Our game plan was to be open for lunch by July. We hit that mark. Our next game, our next uh, goal was to be open by, uh, have brunch ready by September. We were able to do that. And then, and actually we're ahead of schedule because now we're doing Saturday and Sunday brunch. So now we're, we're hitting all, all cylinders. We're starting to get the kind of exposure. People kind of know we're here. The neighborhood behind us is, is supporting us. Uh, they're enjoying their experience here. So uh, it's, it's been a blessing, just to be honest with you, man. We're glad to be in this location, and we love a very diverse audience that we're attracting right now. I mean, Rob, I know you mentioned the oysters. What are, what are some of the other signature dishes that, that people have kind of gravitated towards? So obviously, you know, being in the iconic Houston's location, we had to do some form of ode or tribute to Houston. So we we did our own spinoff of, of our, our Hawaiian steak. You know, it's 48 hours marinated in Polynesian sauces and so forth, uh, 14 ounce prime cut. Um, that's something that me just when I was in college and graduated from college. Hey, that Houston's Hawaiian was a beast. <laughs> So I, we would be remiss if we did not try to do something that that, were, that closely, you know, emulated the Houston's Hawaiian. But our, it, it, they love that Hawaiian a lot. Um, our uh, our snapper is what is our next top seller with the jambalaya risotto. Um, that jambalaya risotto is is very unique, very different. Um, I've never, honestly, I've traveled Louisiana, I've traveled all over the country, I've never seen or had or even heard of a jambalaya risotto. So it, it definitely has a signature appeal. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously, you know, the one thing about Houston's is it's, I mean, they'll sell you a cocktail and, and I know, you know, people love their martinis, but that's not necessarily the focus. So that allowed you to kind of bring your own perspective on on this concept and and so maybe just talk about the bar program because i know it's a big it's a big focus yeah, so i mean you know right now we know is it there's no secret old fashions are are new right now i mean so you know we have our spinoff old fashions that you know with the flavor profile that fit women we know women you know women kind of drive this industry a lot so we have old fashions with driven for women we have our typical old fashions we have our martini trees uh, for the ladies for brunch, which they, it's been a, a, a big hit. Uh, we do a lot of champagne-based cocktails, so it's it's a, it's a variety of different cocktails that we that we've implemented to affect everybody's flavor palette. And then, you know, I I, I don't want to move too far off of it, but I, I know you guys are working on a new concept, Rock House Southern Kitchen. That's going to be mm-hmm. live music, bar, food. Tell me a little bit about it. I mean, I'm you know what what made that seem like the right next step for you just interesting enough like steve alluded to we we uh both were in promotions a long time before we actually owned our first bar and believe it or not me and steve are actually promoters at the horn which is the current rock house location so we were actually promoters there in our younger days we helped we booked a lot of bands and shows at that location so it was it's kind of interesting how everything's went full circle now the venue became available and now we're back in it so we we would be remiss if we didn't go back to some of our old roots and that's live music and you know just to be quite honest you know being a fourth largest city in the country there is a lack of live music and live music venues in Houston. So why not couple our knowledge of, of food and elevated food, you know, items that work for us and couple it with live music and just see where it goes. So tell me a little bit about the, the music. I mean, what kind of bands are you, do you anticipate having there? Like what, what's the atmosphere going to be like? So we, 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 
We're going to try to attract, you know, any and everything that's available. So we will allow ourselves for outside promotions. If it, if it's r you know, obviously we'll have a heavy emphasis on R&B music. Uh, we will have jazz. We will have top, pop, top 40, uh, possible comedy. And we're also trying to open ourselves up for Tejano on some of the slower nights and even some rock bands. Steve, I want to shift gears a little bit. I know you acquired Spanish flowers on Almeida last year. Let me just ask you kind of what's it been like to take over, you know, a restaurant that's been around for, for decades that, that people have, you know, a, a really strong emotional attachment to. Yes. It's, um, the, you know, the Spanish has every, every, um, comes to the, it has a story about Spanish Village. Every person I've mentioned to that I've just purchased it, they have some story about their parents in Spanish Village. So um, it was great. We have uh, a staff in there, some that have been there for 17 years, 15 years, and 12 years. So when we initially took over the, uh, the space, you know, we had this huge, um, you know, concept and development in mind, and we didn't know how long it was going to take. Uh, so we didn't want to close it down right away. So we kept everybody in place while we figured it out. Uh, so we're 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 actually we're at that uh, point now where we we have the plans. They're in the city, and uh, I think Brittany uh, is going to make an announcement either today or Thursday about the the future and the direction that we're going in. Oh yeah, because you've got that. The last time I was there was a couple of months ago. There's a big sign that says, "What do you want to see here?" Right. I, I think that's what it is. That, I think that's what it reads. Right. Yeah, yes. Yes. And that was that was a cool, a cool deal we did with uh, this guy, Monte. We kind of uh, posed the question, you know, what do you want to see here next? And we got a lot of great feedback from the neighbors and the community, you know, anywhere from a grocery store to um, uh, um, someone said, um, I think a Trader Joe's will go well there, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, and as you know, I think you live in the area, uh, Eric, you know, it's, that area is still considered a food desert. So we will bring Spanish Village back and we still got enough space in that space to do multiple concepts of food deal. So we want to kind of give people more options, more healthy options in the neighborhood. Um, you know, our meat is a very special uh, place with a lot of potential. So we just want to be on the forefront of what's coming next. And just kind of bring cool concepts and ideas to the community. So just for the sake of the audience, we're recording this on a Tuesday. It's coming out on a Thursday. So sometime between when you and I are talking and when this podcast is released, there will be a culture map article, I guess, that, that spells out in more detail what your, your plans are for, for that area. Yes. That, yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, we'll stay, we'll stay tuned for that. And let me just ask you about 5115. I mean, I feel like I'd be remiss. How, how, how is that? And, and it's, you know, again, like I, I drive down Almeida on a Sunday and it's, you know, it's a party there every week. 5015, again, is a very special place. Um, the, the previous tenant, you know, she was there for 10 years and it really built a great uh, uh, following and kind of a fan base with that address. So when we took over the space uh, in 2019, uh, we just wanted to just, elevate the whole experience. So we, we redesigned it and just added more space, added more, um, I guess, elements outside to make it more of a outdoor party than just uh, relegated to being inside. Uh, we're busy, you know, probably uh, five days out of the, uh, the, the days we're open. 
Uh, we do a concert, uh, Legends Only concert series uh, once a month. And uh, that's been really, really uh, great for the, the bar, really great for the neighborhood. And uh, so it's been doing very, very, very well. I mean, it sounds like you, you both have quite a bit coming up together. And Rob, I mean, let me, let, me, let me bring it back to you. I mean, what's the message, I guess? Like, what's the, is there like an overriding kind of philosophy that you, you bring in all these projects? Or how should we think about these, these different businesses tied together? Again, like, I, I guess what the thing about what makes us different or what makes me different, I, I have to, we have to go back to corporate America, you know, working, you know, 15 years for a Fortune 100 con- company, um, you know, you learn professionals, you know how to, you learn how to be on time, you know how to, you know, properly communicate, you know how to hire people, you know how to fire people, uh, this and that and the third. So, you know, just having that corporate umbrella experience and bringing it over, you know, into the hospitality industry is key. I've seen a lot of, a lot of <laughs> interesting things happen that, you know, are very questionable. And we, we just try to, you know, keep as professional as possible and grow. You know, we, our whole goal right now is to expand the Warwick branch of other markets uh, with Dallas is in our, in our, in our sites. Uh, one of our investors is out of Sedona. He's highly encouraging Scottsdale. So, uh, but Dallas is definitely the closest to low hanging fruit that we're looking forward to try to open or at least, you know, uh, conceptualize by the end of 2023. Yeah. And then let me just, I'll just wrap this up. I mean, you're also a partner in Chapman and Kirby. Mm-hmm. You've seen that whole nightlife district develop. I mean, what's your kind of take on the state of, of Edo as we kind of come out of the last the last couple uh, of years? Edo is really, I've seen it grow. I mean, you know, we started partnering with uh, Mazin over there uh, almost three years ago. I mean, we, our growth, our numbers over there, you know, off the charts on Sunday. But what we've seen now is that a lot of our customer base you know, when they leave there and they're going, they're eating at, at Rodeo Go, they're going to some of the other concepts and they're supporting them as well. So with that being said, you know, I think it's a, it's a good effort of, of everybody and everybody they have to pitch 25. We get a lot of their customers that come in and patronize Chapman and back and forth. So I think a um, the ecosystem of all the bars and restaurants in that area is finally starting to work where everybody, you know, you have the different cut, the same, you have a different customer base, but they're patronizing all the different venues in the area. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate it. That, that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there something I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? <laughs> I don't think so. You've been pretty thorough today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I try, but you know, this is, you know, this is your, this is your forum. I mean, you know, I, I, it's uh, it's it's good to have you you here. Uh-huh. Uh, before I let you go, we have to play the lightning round. Uh oh. questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Steve, I'll start with you. I asked chefs for their favorite ingredient, but for you, I'm going to ask your favorite cocktail. Oh, um, Long Island. Oh my God. <laughs> Rob, Rob, what's your favorite drink? Scotch. On the rocks, <laughs> Rob. What's the what's the first band you ever saw in concert? Oh God, New Edition. <laughs> Steve, how about you? Man, Jackson Five. It's a great answer. Uh, Steve, what is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-through. Oh Lord, what a burger! Rob, how about you? French cheese. <laughs> <laughs> 
Raw that, was that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get over there that much, but Frenchies. <laughs> Rob, who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? My buddy, my drinking buddy, my hookah buddy, Andre Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, how about you? I would say um, Carl Lewis. All right, and then Steve. Finally, when you when you order a pizza, what are your go to toppings? Um, pepperoni, jalapenos, and black olives. All right, Rob. What are your pizza toppings? Well, I'm from originally from Detroit. I don't think I told you that. So I'm a more, and it's hard hard to find really good Detroit pizza. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm I like Detroit pizza. Pe- pepperoni with extra pepperoni. Simple as that. <laughs> All right, Rob. Give me the give me the website for. The Warwick social media, whatever you want to plug before. Oh, we it's warwickhouston.com and rockhousehtx.com. All right, gentlemen, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate it. Appreciate you, man. All right, thank you. No doubt. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.